Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. A boat moored in the deep shade, under a weeping willow, in the bend of a river. As the light fades, so does the boat, with its willow, with its river. Only memory remains of the lovers in the bottom of the boat, moored to each other. They, too, gone on. My hope is that today your joy doesn't feel contained by the walls that surround you or the judgments of those who don't know you because they've been taught not to see you. It's the California Report magazine. And today on our show, we meet writers who capture very different experiences of California. From a soundscape celebrating the life and poetry of Lawrence Ferlinghetti, to a bond formed within the walls of San Quentin Prison. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. We're going to start the show today with a conversation between two best friends. Adamu Chan and Edmund Richardson met while they were incarcerated at San Quentin about two years ago and have been really close ever since. Adamu was released last fall, but they've been keeping in touch by writing letters. He helped produce this segment for the KALW public media podcast, uncuffed. I got a letter from my man Edmund, CSP San Quentin, San Quentin, California, 94964. Yeah, that's familiar. I remember um, addressing my envelopes like that. Yeah, this is exciting. I don't get a lot of letters from the inside. And so I'm gonna go ahead and open this up. Uh, Adamu, I hope this letter finds you surrounded by your loved ones and with a deeper appreciation for your freedom. How are you doing? What's the adjustment to the streets been like for you? Man, when I got the news that you would be going home, a flood of emotions overcame me. I was excited, anxious, and sad. The bitter sweetness of the moment, realizing that the man whose soul I fell in love with over the last couple of years would no longer be near me. It's hard to take on the weight of the world alone, but with you, everything was bearable. I am truly happy you're home where you belong. As for myself, I'm doing good. I mean, every day that I wake up is a blessing, you know? I have no complaints. Okay, that's a lie. It's been nine months and some change, and I still can't stand this modified program and 23-hour lockdown. Then I had insult to injury after recovering from COVID-19. I haven't been the same. I'm what you call a long hauler. Still suffering from the after effects of the virus. 
Around three months ago, I started to have heart palpitations, pressure on my lungs, and my short-term memory was gone. No, it is gone. The one thing that I hate the most is that I can't sleep. I think it's totally unrelated to COVID, more of a condition and circumstance thing. Anyway, the doctor diagnosed me with mild depression, prescribed me three milligrams of melatonin, and referred me to mental health. I still can't sleep. I know you suggested I see a therapist a long time ago, and honestly, I should have taken your advice. You never... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Uh, you never think something like this can happen until it does. It's been a minute since I heard your voice, and when we talk over the phone, it's awkward. Awkward because my body and my senses are searching for you, but you're not there. I prefer being in someone's presence when I speak to them. I miss the sound of your laugh. I miss how you would get mad at me for stepping on your shoes because I was always randomly trying to hug you. I miss seeing you in the morning. I remember you made some sushi and put too much wasabi, and I bit into it and almost died. Let me be clear. Spicy is not the same as lighter fluid being licked in your nostrils. I have memories like this one that are a constant reminder of how much I value value our relationship. relationship. And more more than than anything, anything how much much I I miss you. I love you. Your best friend, Edmund. All right, so I'm gonna respond to Edmund. It's it's his birthday. Um, it's it's been a difficult process for me because I know how much a birthday means, and I know that it's a celebration that should be shared with uh, family and loved ones. You know, I, I hope that uh, Edmund was able to celebrate in the right way. And so I wanted to express that in this letter. I hope you're doing as well as possible despite the circumstances. It's your birthday today and I'm thinking about you intensely, wondering how you're feeling, what you're eating, who you're with, and if you're laughing a deep joyful laugh that comes from deep down in a place untouched by the prison. Maybe I'm an idealist, but it feels like a radical act to celebrate your birthday in prison, to reclaim that part of yourself that is beyond any conception of a cage made for a human being. My hope is that today your joy doesn't feel contained by the walls that surround you or the judgments of those who don't know you because they've been taught not to see you. But I know that's a tall task. I was there and I know that the most difficult thing to overcome is this realization that the prison has gotten inside of us, that it has built walls between parts of ourselves, imprisoned our most precious gifts, and obstructed the vision of our true purpose. It is something that I struggle with out here in the quote-unquote free world, where I see shadows of the prison everywhere in this new Bay Area that I've entered. The Bay Area, and I'm sure this is true of all urban spaces across the U.S., is a place where every home, every business has a Black Lives Matter sign, but I don't see many Black people in the Bay Area anymore. And the ones that I do are either dirty, unhoused, with visible mental health issues, or they're the respectable Black folk that don't appear angry or play their music too loud. Maybe they're wearing a Salesforce sweatshirt. I think I just wanted to make the point that the relationship that we built, our friendship, has been key to disrupting all of this. It is where I'm able to be my truest self, where I learned the practice of accountability and care in relationships, 
where through our creative projects, I could see a future where we were successful creative partners, where together we played a part in creating a vibrant arts and academic community on the inside. But most importantly, our relationship allowed me to see beyond the walls that blocked our view of the ocean and horizon to see myself outside. I love you, brother. <clears throat> you don't even know. Thank you for sharing all of your precious stories with me. Even though, <clears throat> even though I know you only gain the power of storytelling <clears throat> through suffering. I'm happy that you're finding ways to care for yourself in spite of such dire circumstances and in the absence of much direct support. Know that you are always here with me and I am always there and I will do everything in my power to see you at home sooner than you think. <laughs> happy born day, Edmund. I love you. Adamu. P.S. I ordered the book you asked for and another I thought you might like. You're turning out to be quite the bookworm. That was an excerpt from the KALW Public Media Podcast, Uncuffed. It was produced by Adamu Chan, Nina Gensler-Debs, Angela Johnston, Pat Masidi-Miller, and Eli Wirtschafter, who I'm proud to say was our former intern here on the California Report magazine. And now we mark the loss of a California literary giant, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, poet, activist, and publisher of many beat poets of the 1950s and 1960s. Some called him the soul of San Francisco's counterculture movement, and he died February 22nd at the age of 101. What a gentle, delicate soul. You wouldn't believe that this man is so gentle, so hospitable. Friends and fellow poets gathered to share remembrances, read his work, and raise a glass to him outside of City Lights, the bookstore he founded in 1953. Personally speaking, his greatest poem, At Sea, for Pablo Neruda, was written when he was 90 years old. It's amazing. It's amazing that that kind of insight, but he was a man of incredible memory. He carried memory. Well, we've got a treat for you today. The amazing sonic duo of the Kitchen Sisters, Nikki Silva and Davia Nelson, bring us an audio documentary they produced in honor of Ferlinghetti's 99th birthday a few years ago. The Kitchen Sisters were my teachers and my mentors. They're the reason I'm in radio. I call them my mother hens. And so it's a really special treat to get to share this with you. This piece is a collaboration they did with sound designer Jim McKee, who recorded Ferlinghetti for two decades. And it draws from Jim's lush documentary, Rivers of Memory, featuring Ferlinghetti's poetry and musings on his own life. I was conceived in the summer of 1918, or was it 38, when some kind of war was going on, but it didn't stop two people from making love in Ossining that year. I like to think on a riverbank in sun, on a picnic by the Hudson. I, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, wrought from the dark in my mother long ago. Born in a small back bedroom, in the next room my brother heard the first cry. Someone squeezed my heart to make it go. I cried and sprang up, open eye, open heart, where do I wander? Into the heart of the world. Carried away. 
You're also going to hear a medley of voices, including Jim, the Kitchen Sisters, and Lawrence Ferlinghetti's good friend, the radio dramatist Eric Bowersfeld. Both of them were of the generation that served in World War II, and they shared a passion for storytelling. I was going to ask you a question about your poetry. Go right ahead. Every time I read your poems, I find something else I had not noticed before, even though it was there all the while. And one big image that... What that, makes you think it was there all the while? Well, I never noticed it before. But it always seems to be there. You start with particulars in many of your poems and end up with something vast, like eternity or a great panorama. And it seems in, uh, almost everything from the little dog who's walking along the street who then becomes the dog beside a great horn that blasts out to the entire universe. Oh, it's the Victor Record dog yeah, listening yeah, to yeah. the horn. But the last line of it is, uh, and then there's the, at the Golden Gate, single plover, just a single plover. And then at the end, Rose's skull into eternity mm -hmm. the Golden Gate Bridge. The skull and, is a play on S-C-U-L-L, -L, yeah. a, a rowing skull, but obviously a play on S-K. at the Golden Gate. At the Golden Gate, a single plover far at sea wings across the horizon. A single rower, almost out of sight, rows his skull into eternity. And I take a Buddha crystal in my hand and begin becoming pure light. You know, a rowing his skull into eternity, S-K-U-L-L. -L. It reminds me of the uh, Hieronymus Bosch in the Garden of Delights where the, you, you have images like that, a man rowing a, a human skull. If you were telling somebody in their 20s mm -hmm. who wasn't from San Francisco, didn't know city lights, what would you say to them to bring them into Lawrence's world? In the early 50s, Lawrence came from the East Coast. He took a train over and took a ferry into the city because there was no Bay Bridge. Not long after arriving, he decided that he was going to start a bookstore that sold paperback books. Paperback books were a new thing. He partnered up with someone here in North Beach, began City Lights Bookstore back in 1954. What puts City Lights and Lawrence on the map? City Lights is known for publishing writers who have far out ideas, politically progressive ideas. He began the Pocket Poet series, a publication that fit his MO, so to speak, at City Lights because it was small, four by six inch. Fit in your pocket. That fit in your pocket. The first publication was Pictures of the Gone World, poems that he wrote. Then he commissioned by other writers and poets. Allen Ginsberg's Howl was the fourth publication that he did. After publishing Howl, Allen Ginsberg was called in on obscenity charges. Uh, they pulled the publication from the public. Lawrence had to go to court. Uh, they won the case. It was a landmark case in terms of First Amendment rights to be able to write and publish works like Al. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, 
dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn looking for an angry fix, angel-headed hipsters burning for the ancient heavenly connection to the starry dynamo in the machinery of night, who poverty and tatters and hollow-eyed and high set up smoking in the supernatural darkness of cold water flats floating across the tops of cities contemplating jazz. We had this anarchist background, anarchist slant right from the beginning. Did you start City Lights in the same location it is now, or did you start it elsewhere? The bookstore was uh, always in the same location, 261 Columbus Avenue. I had a partner originally, Peter Dean Martin, the son of Carlo Tresco, who was an Italian anarchist assassinated on the streets of New York, perhaps by the mafia, I think in the early 1940s. And we had actually, some of the first publications we sold were two Italian anarchist newspapers in Italian. And at that time, North Beach was populated by like 90% Italians. And among the people who would buy the Italian anarchist newspaper were the, the scavengers on the garbage truck. I remember one guy wearing a derby and baggy pants would rush in off the garbage truck and get his copy of Umanita Nova or uh, La Dunata was the other one. And uh, we uh, had that newspaper for years, those two newspapers for years until I think both of them went out of existence, maybe in the 60s. That theme is so prevalent here in San Francisco. I mean, almost everywhere you live, wherever you go, you have this view of this bay that leads out under the Golden Gate Bridge I know. Out into, this, out into the ocean. San Francisco, it's an old uh, Indian myth going all the way back several centuries of San Francisco as an island. So we're surrounded by water on three sides and uh, with the melting of the icebergs, the water will rise uh, just a few feet or even a foot or two and it'll f flood over the remaining fourth side, the very low-lying landmass between San Francisco and the, what's known as the San Francisco Peninsula. And then San Francisco will be an island again. And there was always an island mentality. And when I arrived in San Francisco, uh, by ferry from Oakland, having come on the train across the continent, I had the feeling that the citizens really uh, had this island mentality. and. Uh, they were sort of like Neapolitans who considered themselves Neapolitans first and Italians second. So I, in 1950, I felt San Franciscans felt they were San Franciscans first and then only second, secondarily uh, members of the United States. And so uh, we're sort of a, an off-lying island, not really part of the continent. Yachts in sun, the yachts, the white yachts, with their white sails and sunlight, catching the wind and heeling over, all together racing now for the white boy to tack about, to come about beyond it, and then come running in before the spanking wind, white spinnakers billowing off Fort Mason, San Francisco, where once drowned down an Alcatraz con escaping 
whose bones today are sand 50 fathoms down, still imprisoned now in the glass of the sea as the so skillful yachts freely pass over. The so skillful yachts freely pass over is a ripoff from a famous poem by William Carlos Williams. His line, I believe, is, and the yachts skillfully pass over. That was really a total rip-off on my part. <laughs> well, art is built on art, and uh, you've ripped off quite a number of poems. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> well, the, we, I was looking at So one. did Picasso. Well, so did, uh, I presume, Shakespeare and every major poet. So did T.S. Eliot, who, who even said, I summarized the, he said... I forget who was talking about uh, the four quartets or the wasteland. He said, summarizing the past by theft and illusion. Not illusion, but A-L-L. One of the things that I began to realize when I started hanging out with these guys is that they were from a different place and time. And they were talking about things that I couldn't really even put into context. I had no idea why you'd be so upset about having some logo on your hat or your t-shirt or your clothing or, or what it was about advertising that bugged them so much. Over the years, you realize the world that they came up in and the way that they were in some ways snookered into the war was through advertising. To be able to contextualize that life, it literally took a decade of hanging out with them to understand what the world was like when they were growing up, what the world was like when they went into war. It was just a, a real eye-opener for me to finally get a glimpse into their world. The sea is calm tonight, off Dover Beach. The birds at dusk cry out syllables of some deconstructed word we are yet unable to decipher to explain existence. And they lift the last light with their wings and fly away with it over the horizon, keeping the secret. The sea was calm that night off of Normandy and off of Dover Beach, but things were not so calm in the United States where the whole transfer of wartime techniques of propaganda had begun, patriotic posters and so forth, so that these same techniques could be used in peacetime and by big business. Uh, the government manufactured consent, manufactured the consent of the American public to go into the Second World War. And, of course, this is what Noam Chomsky articulated many years later in his book, Manufacturing Consent. And the government uh, was able to uh, do the same for uh, our entry into the Iraq War. Um, manufactured consent by control of the media. 
Look at that. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Yeah, that's in our little wardroom where Jean and... The Green Street Mortuary Marching Band, well, whenever the, the Green Street Mortuary Marching Band came out of Green Street and headed down Columbus Avenue with, in the funeral parade, I always thought, well, I've got to write a poem about that, so I finally did. Who do they play for? Do they play for any? They play for the dead. I know. For, so for do, the, you, do you have to be the uh, elected to, dead? or You have to be dead to get the Green Street Mortuary Marching Band. And but, rich, or are they... Are they rich? You have to be rich to hire them. Oh, no, I don't think it's outrageous. But uh, quite often it's, it seems it's some perhaps rich Chinese patriarch. The biggest funerals are often these days great Chinese patriarchs with long lines of limousines following afterward. Now, where is that poem in here? It really happened. The Green Street Mortuary Marching Band marches right down Green Street and turns into Columbus Avenue where all the cafe sitters at the sidewalk cafe tables sit talking and laughing and looking right through it as if it happened every day in little old wooden North Beach, San Francisco but at the same time feeling thrilled by the stirring sound of the gallant marching band. Which poem, for you, when you think of Lawrence, what poem is it? After about 10 years meeting him on Saturdays and meeting him with Eric at brunch, I invited him to come down when he felt like it to read his poetry here. The last 10 years, we've recorded most all of what he calls his selected collection. When he's reading these poems, often just to get him in the mood or loosen the tension in the room, I'll try to have him set it up, you know, so where did this idea come from? And he told me a story about visiting Russia, getting on a train across Siberia to the very end, and he actually got pneumonia. While he was in this little town on the eastern wilderness of Russia, he wrote a short poem called A Recipe for Happiness. This is Lawrence Ferlinghetti, December 21st, 2012. Recipe for happiness in Kabarovsk or any place. One grand boulevard with trees, with one grand cafe in sun, with strong black coffee in very small cups, one not necessarily very beautiful man or woman who loves you, one fine day. That documentary was produced by the Kitchen Sisters, Davia Nelson and Nikki Silva, with Nathan Dalton and Brandy Howell, in collaboration with Jim McKee of Earwax Studios. The audio is from Rivers of Memory, 
with music by Viaslav Pogorjelski and Jim McKee. You can hear more stories from the Kitchen Sisters on their podcast, The Kitchen Sisters Present. The long boats sail into the night. Farewell. And that's the California Report magazine for this week. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Maleon. Our director is Amanda Font. Brendan Willard is our engineer. Hector Arzate is our intern. I'm Sasha Coca. Thanks so much for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.